are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Before we dive into the book of John again, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Should you pray with me? Father, we come before you this evening, and I'm just reminded of Psalm 19, that the heavens declare your glory, and the sky above proclaims your handiwork. And God, we rejoice that you've given us this time to gather together as your church in this strange season that we're in, where we're outdoors right now. But God, we thank you that we can lift up our voices in praise amongst your creation, that we can open up your word as you've revealed yourself to us in your creation, but most specifically in your word to us, God, and we can rejoice in that that you don't remain distant from us, God, but you've made yourself known to us. And you've sent Christ, your Son, to reveal your glory even more. And so, God, as we open up your word now, I pray that you would continue to stir our affections for you. God, I pray that as we open up your word, you would illuminate our minds and our hearts that we might see what you want to say to us tonight. And God, I pray that you would use this time in your word to cultivate a heart of worship, not only right now, but as we go back into this week as well. Help us to see Christ clearly. Help us to see your glory in him and help us to find our hope in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a lot of uh, really big structures in the world. We have a few in the United States, and I've seen a few of them. Maybe some of you have seen some of them as well. The Empire State Building or the Sears Tower, which I don't think is called that anymore, in Chicago. But one of the biggest buildings, the biggest building currently in the world, I haven't seen in person, only pictures. It's the, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. It stands at 2,716 feet tall. I mean, it's fascinating to look at even in pictures. And if you've seen pictures of it, the height of this building, this tower, is accentuated all the more just because of the landscape. It's very flat in that part of the world. And there aren't a lot of other tall buildings around the Burj Khalifa. But I learned an interesting fact this week about this tower, about this building. Depending on the weather, you can see the top of this tower anywhere from three and a half miles away to 60 miles away. You can see the top of this tower. That's crazy. There's nothing else in the world like that that's so high that you can see it from such a distance. And when something that huge stands above everything else, it becomes mesmerizing. I mean, it attracts anyone who looks at it. Our eyes kind of get locked in on it. Well, as we continue on in our Seeing Jesus sermon series in the Gospel of John, we're jumping back into John chapter 12. Last week, we saw that Jesus entered into Jerusalem in what's often called the triumphal entry. And Jesus rode in on a donkey willingly and joyfully, knowing that he was heading to the cross to be a substitute for sinners like you and me. And in light of that, in light of Jesus coming into town with this crowd around him, we come to our text today where we see Jesus continue to engage with this crowd of people that have gathered in Jerusalem, not necessarily because of Jesus, but because of Passover beginning. And in this text, Jesus makes a bold and final public statement. One that's good news, not just for this crowd that's gathered in Jerusalem, but for the whole entire world for our neighbors and the nations, for you and for me. See, what Jesus declares here in this text that I'm going to read for us here in just a second is that he's not only willing to go to the cross in your place, but that in doing so, he becomes a beacon of light, lifted up in the midst of the darkness of this world, and he will draw the world to himself. 
This is amazing news for all of us. And right now in our world, we see that it's, it's reeling in multiple different ways, in multiple levels. We need light in the midst of darkness. We need hope. We need transformation. We need this good news. The Burj Khalifa may loom large over Dubai and be seen from far off, mesmerizing to all who look upon it. But Jesus, Jesus is lifted even higher, not to be seen from only three and a half to 60 miles away, but to the very ends of the earth. And anyone who truly sees him for who he is will not simply be mesmerized by his grace, not simply be mesmerized by his greatness, but radically transformed for all eternity. And that's our focus in our time together this evening. So no matter what kind of week you've had, what might be weighing on your heart and mind right now, I, I hope that we can look together at this text of Scripture and that our eyes will be lifted up to see our Savior King who is lifted up. And that is good news and grace for all people. So if you will, let's open up to John chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 27 through 36 today. And if you don't mind, I just invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word aloud. Starting in verse 27, this is Jesus speaking. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Let less darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid, some, hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Last week we saw that Jesus was greeted with excitement and acclamation as king. That as he was coming into the town, that people were gathered all around shouting out praises to him. But they missed something in the coming of Jesus. That the kind of conquering king Jesus would be, it wasn't one that came on a war horse but rode in on a donkey. He's our humble king. A humble king who calls us to follow him as humble people. But first, first he must go to the cross. See, in our text today, we get an interesting glimpse into three components of Jesus. We see Jesus' mind. We see Jesus' goal. And we see Jesus' invitation, all of which bring us to the end of his public ministry. In verses 27 through 30, we get a glimpse of Jesus' mind, what Jesus is thinking, what he's wrestling with in the midst of what's about to happen to him. Look at verse 27 again. Again, this is Jesus speaking. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This sounds familiar, but it's different from the anguishing scene of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Right before Jesus goes to the cross on the night that he's betrayed, he's in the garden, he's praying and he prays, Father, if it would be your will, would you remove this cup of suffering from me? And he's crying out in anguish to God, even sweating like drops of blood pouring from his head. But this is different right now, what's going on in this scene. These aren't the same thing that's happening here. See, Jesus is thinking about what's ahead for him. He knows what's coming at the end of this week. And he says that his soul is troubled. That's the sense of being unsettled. There's an unsettledness to Jesus. And I love that we get this insight into our Savior. I mean, is your soul ever troubled? Do you ever feel like the weight of the world is crashing down around you? That you feel unsettled internally with whatever's going on in the midst of your life or the world? Friends, Jesus is able to sympathize with you in your weaknesses. He's able to sympathize with you in your weakness. And it isn't because he doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow like you and I do. No, he sympathizes with you in your weakness knowing everything that's about to come. I love that we have a Savior who is real. He is God from eternity past. Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the Son who's existed for all eternity, but he also is a human being. He's taken on human flesh. He really took on humanity. He really waded into the mess of this world and all of its challenges and all the overwhelming elements of this life. And when he confronts those things, he isn't stoic about them. Jesus isn't emotionless in the face of adversity and difficulty. We saw it in John chapter 11 when he wept at the death of Lazarus, seeing the brokenness of people around him. And here he's wrestling with what's about to come. And in this, we see the mind of Christ. See, after declaring that his soul is troubled, he asks a a kind of hypothetical, rhetorical question. He doesn't actually pray for God to take this away. He says, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to pray that God would take what lies before me away? No, he answers. No, he knows what lies ahead. He knows all the agony and all the difficulty of what's about to come. But he says, this is why I've come. I've come to execute and put into practice a plan that was set in motion before the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus is wrestling with it, but he's doing so with resolve and with hope. It reminds me of one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 42. In the midst of this psalm, the psalmist is crying out, wrestling with different things, and he says this, Psalm 42, 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? The psalmist is saying, he's speaking to himself, why, why am I thinking this way? Why am I feeling this way? And then he says this, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We see this posture in Christ, this mind of Jesus. He's committed to the road ahead because he knows where it goes. He's committed to the road ahead because he knows what it's going to accomplish, which leads us to seeing Jesus' goal. Now, when I say goal, I don't mean aspirational kind of goal. Like every year we make goals or uh, resolutions, right? Like these are the things I want to accomplish this year, which for most of us, this has gone out the window for 2020. Or, you know, you make goals for the week or goals for the month. Like I want to try and achieve these different things. Wake up at this time, exercise this many times, eat this kind of way. Those are aspirational goals and those are good things to do. But Jesus doesn't have aspirational goals. This is an end goal. The Greek word for goal is telos. It has the sense of the inherent purpose of something, the ultimate aim of something. So the ultimate goal for Jesus, the telos for Jesus, is to glorify God. 
that everything that he does in this life as a human, God in human flesh, is to magnify the Father, to exalt God among all creation. And Jesus knows that as painful and as agonizing as his impending death will be, it will be for the glory of God. It will be for the good of the world. Because that will restore what sin has destroyed. So Jesus declares, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. But then something astonishing happens. In verse 28, we see the audible voice of God is heard. Look at verse 28 again. It says, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This is one of only three times in the scriptures where we see the audible or hear the audible voice of God. The other two are the baptism of Jesus and Jesus' transfiguration. When he goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and we see an element of Jesus' glory revealed before them. We hear the voice of God in those moments. This is one of the only three times that it happens. And they all do the same thing. They attest to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. They attest to the fact that he is coming to carry out the work of the Father and glorify Him. And Jesus prayed, Father, glorify Your name. And God responds by saying, it has been glorified. It's been glorified in sending You. It's been glorified through Your works. It's been glorified through Your words, and it will be glorified in what is to come. See, the crowd hears it, but they have this kind of funny reaction. Some think it sounds like thunder. Others think it's maybe the voice of an angel that's just for Jesus. So it seems to be that they hear something, but they don't actually hear the words of what's being communicated. But Jesus tells them plainly, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. It's come to attest to who I am, even if you don't understand what I've come to do or what I'm about to do. And then we get to verses 31 through 33. Verses 31 through 33 show us how Jesus' goal ultimately comes to fruition. Look at verses 31 through 33. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Man, these verses have blown me away this week. If I just have been thinking on them, how magnificent it is and what Jesus is telling us here in this text. And so I don't want us to breeze past it. I don't want us just to kind of read them and think, okay, cool, he's talking about the cross and kind of move on because there's significance in what Jesus is saying here. I mean, you and I live in the present evil age where the God of this world, the ruler of this world, as Scripture says, is coming against us. It's, he's seeking to blind the minds and hearts of people so they don't see God for who He is. So they aren't drawn to Him. But Jesus comes and He comes to declare that that ruler of this world has no ultimate power. His rulership is coming to an end and He will be cast out. Satan doesn't have the victory. And Jesus says, how is this going to be? It isn't through might and power. It isn't through Jesus rolling into town with an army. No, as we said last week, our humble king comes into this world and he often does things upside down from the way the world would expect victory to come. How will Jesus do this? He'll be lifted up. Through a sham of a trial, Jesus will go to a wooden cross, a Roman cross, and he'll endure excruciating pain as he's whipped and beaten. His nails are driven into his hands and his feet. He'll experience and endure emotional pain 
as all of his friends, most of his friends abandon him and run off away and deny him I mean, having any kind of relationship with him. The crowd of people that once were following him don't seem to be around now. He'll endure excruciating spiritual pain as the wrath of our holy God is poured out on him for sinners like you and like me. On the cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Why? Why was it satisfied in the cross? Well, Scripture tells us because the wages of our sin, the consequences for our rebellion, is death. See, our holy God, our perfect God, can't be in relationship with a sinner like you and me. He can't have communion with you in our unholiness, in our rebellion. And He's justified in that. But God is full of grace and mercy, and He doesn't leave us to that. No, He sends His Son to us. And in the greatest act of love, Christ died for us while we were sinners. Not when we figured it all out. Not when we cleaned ourselves up. Not when we recognized our need for God. No, we were running away from Him. We have no desire or interest in God or being reconciled to Him or restored to Him. But Jesus was lifted up. And He was lifted up on this wooden cross and He was pierced for our transgressions in the midst of our rebellion. See, the cross of Christ seems like a victory for the enemy. It seems like a victory for Satan. Here's this person who's saying he's the son of man, the son of God, who's come to restore the world. And look, he just got killed. Look, he's been buried and put in the grave. He looks like he's defeated because he's dead. Man, that's not the end of the story. No, the only defeated one that day was Satan and sin. Because Jesus, in and through the cross and his glorious resurrection, brings about real freedom for you and for me. He brings about real freedom for all those who Jesus came to save. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from sin in your life. Freedom and reconciliation and restoration back to a right relationship with God. At the very, very beginning of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 3, in the midst of sin, breaking all of creation, God made a promise. He said that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. And here Jesus says, yes and amen. But it gets even better. If that isn't good enough, I mean, our world is jacked up. It's not hard for us to see. We experience it in our own life. We see it all over the news. Creation is fractured through rebellion. There's separation all around us. There's disunity all around us. Humanity and our human experience is broken. All of us know that. All of us experience that firsthand. The kingdom of self rules the day in our world. We seek to do whatever's going to be good for us, whatever we feel is right, whatever is best for us at the expense often of others. But when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, when he's lifted up in glory to the right hand of the Father, what happens? Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. All people to myself. I will call dead men and women to life. Now, when it says all people here, it doesn't mean all people without exception. We know that not every single person on the face of the earth will be saved. When Jesus says all people will be drawn to me, it means all without distinction. In other words, this isn't some kind of nationalistic salvation. Jesus isn't a local deity that he's just good enough for the people right there. No, Jesus says, I am the God of this world and I will draw the nations to myself. People from every tribe and every language and every ethnicity. This was a revolutionary idea then and it's revolutionary today. Jesus knows who he's dying for. And it's fully 
and completely effective. It's amazing news for a sin-sick world that we find ourselves in because Jesus is the only remedy, the lifted up Savior King. And it's in seeing Jesus for who he truly is and seeing Jesus for what he's done that the world can be redeemed, that the world can be restored. In and through Jesus and him alone, there is hope for all people. And what an amazing reality. We think about sin separates us. It divides us. It causes relational difficulty, both at the the very small family level all the way to larger neighborhoods and communities and cities and nations and countries. It, It divides and separates. Culture and language separate us. But the cross of Christ brings the nations together. Jesus, the lifted up one, transcends every barrier and everything that divides us. And when that happens, it transforms everything. When that happens, when Jesus calls all people to himself, it creates a new people. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. When Jesus is lifted up and we look on him and we place our faith in him, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what kind of background you have. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is or what language you speak or how much you have or how much you don't have. We're brought together as a new people. Uh, And a new people that confounds the categories that society tries to put us in because we are God's people redeemed in and through Jesus. A people that are only explainable because of the gospel of a crucified and resurrected king. Church, this has been God's master plan since before the foundation of the world. We rebelled and ran away from him. But God has been pursuing us in order to redeem us and restore what our sin has destroyed This is Jesus' goal, to glorify the Father. And it's through the cross of Christ that the supreme display of God's glory happens. Because in it, God and his character is reflected to the ends of the earth. He is both just and justifier. What God demands from us, holiness, perfection, righteousness, what he requires of us, he provides for us in and through Jesus. It's undeserved grace upon grace. John the Baptist said at the beginning of the Gospel of John, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold means look. Look at the lifted up one. Look at the one who's on the Christ. He does indeed take away the sin of the world. But you know what? The the crowd doesn't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is saying here. And the reason is, is because... He isn't the kind of savior that they're looking for. What they were hoping for, they thought Jesus was going to come into town and fix all of their problems in the immediate circumstances of their life. Here he's talking about dying. That doesn't sound right. How can this be, they say? How can the one who's supposed to last forever say that he's going to die? It sounds like defeat, not salvation. Not the rescue that we're looking for. Maybe sometimes we feel tempted in the same way that maybe... Maybe the cross doesn't seem like it's enough for us. That Jesus' death isn't sufficient enough for us for all of our problems and all of our issues. Jesus, it seems like you're, you're, you're leaving us in this way, but the irony of this statement and the dismissal of the glory of the cross, both by this crowd and maybe sometimes us in our own life, is that Jesus does endure forever. That Jesus overcomes death. What they don't get, and maybe sometimes what we don't get or we don't comprehend, is that in the death of Christ is the death of death and everything that keeps you away from joy and hope 
and our holy and awesome God. The crowd doesn't get it, but once again, Jesus is kind and compelling. And we see this in verses 35 and 36. We see Jesus' invitation to them and to us. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus responds to them, but in an indirect way. He still has their question in mind. He's basically communicating to them and to us, you need to stop thinking about what you think you know and see who's standing right in front of you. Stop trying to dissect all of this and see who's right in front of you, offering you life, light in the midst of darkness. Come to me, Jesus is saying. He's inviting them to believe in him. Not in some kind of mindless way, not with a blind faith, but he's deconstructing false ideas about who he is and false beliefs. And he's showing them that he is the truth and he is the light. So he entreats them. Trust in me. Trust in me before it's too late. See, Jesus has moved from talking about bringing all the nations to himself to just talking to the people right in front of him, to them personally, calling them to believe. He's saying, you need to look to the lifted up one. You need to believe in me, the light of the world. And when you do, you become children of light, which is not only good for their soul eternally, but good here and now. Because darkness will come against them, but Jesus says when it comes against you, it won't have victory over you. It will not overpower you. It will not master you because your identity has changed. You are now a son and daughter of light. And Jesus' invitation was urgently true then as he was about to depart from them. And it's urgently true now as we wait for Jesus to come again. See, we need to understand that to be a, a son of light or a child of light isn't to be someone who's just interested in light. So we're kind of analyzing it academically. It's to be someone who's transformed by light, revolutionized by it. I mean, think about light in your life. If you go into a dark room and you turn on a light switch or you strike a match or you have a candle or a nightlight, it extinguishes the darkness. Darkness can't ever overcome light. Light always pushes into darkness and illuminates the darkness. So Jesus is saying the same thing is true for your life. When I come into your life as the light of the world, you cannot and will not be unaffected. When you see Jesus lifted up and by grace are drawn to him, you will never be the same. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes this. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love that imagery. He's saying he's, he's changed everything from you. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness and he's transferred you. That is the, the imagery of being picking you up and moving you to a new place. He's taken you from this place and he's put you over here. Everything's changed for you. You were part of the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, but now because you've seen the lifted up one, you've been transferred and now you're a, kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of the Son who is light and life. Everything changes for you. See, being drawn to the Savior King who is lifted up is a call for you to die to yourself, to abdicate the fake throne that you've placed yourself on, thinking that you rule your life, thinking that you're the God of your own life or the King of your own life or the Lord of your own life. 
When you see the lifted up one, it's a declaration of hope and allegiance to the one true king. And what comes from that is nothing that the world can give to you. Real peace, real freedom, real security, and certainty, and blessedness. Not that everything in your life is going to be perfect the way the world would say it would be perfect, but knowing that you are with God forever and ever and ever. A hope that can't be touched, can't be dismantled by a dark and dying world. So let me ask you, are you seeing Jesus rightly? Are you gazing on the one who is lifted up in your life right now? Are you walking in the light? Verse 36 says, when you become a son of light or a child of light or a daughter of light, that's a one-time action. Like we said, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. He calls you to himself, like we said in John chapter 10, and you are now unsnatchable, never to be yanked away. But when he says in verse 36 to believe in the light, that's ongoing. It's continual belief. It's not just believing Jesus one time and then moving on from him, but be continuing to place your faith in him, continuing to pay, place your trust in him, continuing to believe in him, knowing that he is faithful and true, your hope now and forever. So listen, if you've never truly trusted in Christ, maybe you've been around the church for a while or you've been kind of checking out the light, checking out Jesus, but you never actually placed your faith in him. Maybe you're one of the many kids in our church and you've been around Sojourn for a while. You're in elementary school or middle school or high school or college. And you've been around the church. You've heard about Jesus, but you never said, man, Jesus, I need you. I don't need anything else. I just need you. And Jesus is inviting you to himself. He's inviting you. I'm inviting you along with Jesus to come to him today to look on Christ, to repent and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is your only hope, to turn away from sin, to turn away from false hope, and whatever that might be for you, to trust in Jesus alone. For those of you that have already been transformed and changed by the good news of the gospel, can we just admit that life's still challenging? Life's still hard? It's sometimes easy to read this and think, well, if this is the case, if I'm walking in the light, why are things so difficult for me? Why does life seem so challenging? The reality is, you and I still live in a world that's broken, that's still reeling from rebellion. So let me ask you, how are you doing with that? How are you dealing with it? And I don't mean that it has to be everything that's going on in kind of the global scale or national scale certainly includes that. Maybe it's just personal stuff in your life right now sickness that you're dealing with, chronic illness, just family dynamics. Your kids are at a tough age right now. Work is crushing you. You're worried about money. You have difficulties with your roommates. It could be any of those kinds of things. Do you feel weary and tired? Are you burdened by something? Are you anxious right now? Overwhelmed? Do you feel anger rise up more consistently in your life than patience? Are you suffering in some way? Are you feeling alone or, or abandoned in this season of isolation? Are you sinning? I'm guessing most of us can answer yes to at least some of those things. So let me also ask you, how are you dealing with those kinds of things? What do you run to first? Who do you look to the most to find hope and help in time of need? Let me implore you, and hear me on this, I need you to implore me also. 
I need you to remind me consistently. I'm, I'm a part of this body of believers too. I don't sit high and lift it up any more than you do. I'm on the same place that you are. I need you to remind me of this as much as you need to be reminded of it too, that we would keep looking to the lifted up one. That you and I would keep looking to the one who is high and lifted up, who draws the world to himself, not to ourselves, not to someone else, not to the world and what it would promise you. Keep looking to Jesus for deliverance and for healing, for hope, for light in the midst of darkness. Jesus endured the cross for you so that in him and through him you could find rest for your soul and confidence that you'll never be abandoned. Jesus is always your only remedy in this life. We never move on from him. We never move on from Jesus. So let this lead you to rest and let it lead you to worship. And let it lead you to taking the hope that you have in Christ to the ends of the earth. See, John 12 concludes, in the verse 36 it says, we conclude Jesus' public ministry. It says he goes and he hides himself from the people. And the next time Jesus does something publicly in this way is his crucifixion. But this isn't the end. Because Jesus is lifted up on the cross and one day after that, three, three days after that, he'll be lifted up out of the grave to rule and reign as the king of the kingdom of light and life who says he will come again. So now as children of light who've been transformed and transferred to his kingdom, it means Jesus' invitation becomes our mission. And friends, we see it. Our world is desperate for light. It's desperate for hope. It's desperate for justice and for healing, for redemption and restoration. And you know what? Jesus is the answer. Not only to bring salvation to anyone who doesn't have it, but to bring kingdom influence, to affect our culture, to bring the ethics of our king and his kingdom to the world around us, to the one who one day will come again to make all things new. But it isn't only able to be seen three and a half to 60 miles away, depending on the weather. No, it's able to be seen. Jesus is able to be seen to the very ends of the earth through the ministry of his people. He's sending you to your neighbors. He's sending you to the nations. He's sending us as a church to reach people who don't yet have this hope, not to lift up ourselves, not to lift up anything else, but to continue to lift up Jesus, to do like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, to preach Christ and him crucified over and over and over again until he comes again or calls you home. Jesus is indeed hope for all people. So let's fix our eyes on him. Fix our eyes on him, not on old glory, not on our 401k, not on our likes and comments, not on a clean house or folded laundry or well-behaved kids. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and then go and tell the world about our glorious Savior King. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. God, we're so thankful that we're reminded once again tonight that Jesus alone is our hope. He, the one, he alone is the one that's lifted up. So God, we repent tonight where we've tried to lift ourselves up above Christ. We repent tonight for where we've looked to other people or other things to see them as the source of hope and life. And God, we want to look afresh on Christ, the lifted up one. And God, we long to see the nations come to know you. We long to see our neighbors come to know you. So God, would you send us out? Would you send us out with such a, a fixation on Christ that it overflows in our life through our words and our actions? And that we would see our neighbors come to know you, that you would send us to the ends of the earth, that we'd see people from every tribe, language, and nation come to know you. God, we rejoice in the fact that Jesus 
heals all wounds, that he remedies every, sins, every aspect of brokenness and sin. And so, God, we long for the day when Jesus will come again. But until that day, help us to be faithful in the midst of all the distractions around us to fix our eyes on Jesus. We love you. We thank you for your grace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.